Let's pray together. Jesus, would you be our vision? And by being our vision, would you be the lens through which we live and learn and believe and trust and act? By your spirit today, would you open our ears? Would you unstop them to hear what the spirit is saying to the church? We ask in your name. Amen. Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm Pastor Joy. I am the Associate Pastor of Spiritual Formation here at Hinsdale Covenant Church. So before we get to the text today, I just want to talk a little bit about honesty in advertising. That's something I think about. I don't really do anything about it. But I was looking this week for some honest advertisements, and I I found some. Here's an example. These are honest advertisements from the Hans Brinker Hostel in Amsterdam. They, for many years now, have been doing a very honest advertising campaign. These might be from 96, but their newest ones are just as honest. Currently, their website says, Welcome to the Hans Brinker. Quite honestly, not the best, but definitely the most memorable hostel in Amsterdam. At the Hans Brinker Hostel, you get what you pay for. And because you don't pay much, you won't get any of the following things. A swimming pool, room service, honeymoon suites, a gym, tiny bottles of shampoo, a spa bath, or bellboys in silly hats. You will simply get a basic room in the center of Amsterdam that is worth every penny. And I'll tell you, Right now, with a strong dollar to the euro, the Hans Brinker Hostel costs $10.50 a bed. Parents don't get any ideas. I don't think it's for kids. So, honest advertising. And today, in the series in Proverbs, we are going to be looking at Proverbs chapter 2, which I think is an honest advertisement for wisdom, at least from our contemporary understanding of genre. In this passage, the father is teaching the son. The father is saying, if you get wisdom, then this bad thing won't happen to you and this good thing will. Like my honest advertisement for today, if you wear Birkenstocks, then your feet won't hurt. That is true, at least in my experience. So let us stand together and hear the father speak to the son about the benefits of wisdom. Hear the word of the Lord. My child, if you accept my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, if indeed you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk blamelessly, guarding the paths of justice and preserving the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Prudence will watch over you, 
and understanding will guard you. It will save you from the way of evil, from those who speak perversely, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, those whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. You will be saved from the loose woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the partner of her youth and forgets her sacred covenant, for her way leads down to death and her path to the shades. Those who go to her never come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. Therefore, Walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the just, for the upright will abide in the land and the innocent will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. And as we begin... Heads up, today's sermon might be a little bit different from what you're used to. It is a, an expository sermon. That means I am going to go through the text and explain it, not every single line, but a lot of it. So if you have your own paper Bible with you and a pen or a pencil to make notes, these kind of sermons are really good for making your own study Bible based from, on the sermons or studies you've done. So I encourage you to do that, and if you didn't bring your Bible, please feel free to use the red one in the pew in front of you. My mom and dad surprised me in the first service. They showed up, and I said to dad, I'm going to talk about you in my sermon. <laughs> so now I'm going to talk about my dad, but he's not here for this, for this service. So my dad taught and continues to teach me some things. One of the things my dad taught me when I was a kid was how to study the Bible. As an adult, when I talk with people about this, I realize how intense that was. So he outfitted me with colored pencils, and he taught me to look at the text, to look at the text, to look at the text, to look for certain types of words, for repetition, for instance. Always look for repetition in the text. It can really help you. He taught me to look for comparisons, two things that are similar to one another. He taught me to look for contrast, things that are different from one another, he taught me to look for lists. He also taught me to look for cause and effect. You can often find this in the text by the clue words if and then. If this, then that. Cause and effect. And this passage has a lot of cause and effect in it. We begin. The father says, if you accept my words and treasure my commands... If you cry out for wisdom and seek for it like treasure, these are the causes. It's interesting. These are similar. They're both about how you get wisdom, but they're different postures of getting wisdom. The first is a heart posture, and it's a posture of receiving. It's like receiving and accepting and treasuring wisdom as a gift. The other is an active pursuit of wisdom. It's external. So you see sort of these similarities and differences. Wisdom is both a gift you receive, but it's also a way of life. It's something that you actively go after. Wisdom is a gift and a pursuit. So if you seek after wisdom and if you receive it, 
then, that's the cause. Now we're going to go into the effects, and I'm going to talk a lot longer about the effects because there's a lot of them in this text. So, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and knowledge of God. This is head and mind transformation centered on the Lord. This is head discipleship. This is knowing God, and knowing God will change you. That's the first then. The second then, then you will understand righteousness and justice, every good path. This is heart and action, or hand, we could say, transformation. In the Old Testament, righteousness has to do with right relationships. It's not just talking about morality. It's talking about right relationships between people and people, people and God, and people and God's creation. And then justice has to do with participating in righting the wrongs in the world. So righteousness and justice and every good path. This part is about how God wants us to live, lived in our relationships and our actions. If wisdom, then mind, heart, and action transformation. This is an honest advertisement. When you partner with wisdom, you will be formed. Wisdom, in fact, will surround you inside and out. We read this in the next verses. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It's inside. Prudence will watch over you, and understanding will guard you. It's outside. So wisdom will come in and be inside you in your heart and soul, and it will be outside you too watching you and guarding you because when you partner with wisdom, you will be saved. The father is very clear in this next part. This is the next effect. That the, that the son is going to be saved in two specific ways. He's going to be saved specifically from bad friends or bad influences and also bad ladies. We'll get to that. Sometimes people can be concerned about this. Don't worry, we'll talk about it. But first of all, we're going to look at the first part. It, wisdom, will save you from the way of evil, from those who speak perversely, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, those whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. This, you can see, is a sort of a list that just gets worse and worse. The way of evil is, is described by a progression. Speaking evil, leaving the right path, walking in the dark path, then not just doing evil, which I think we all do wrong things, right? We all do bad things. Not just doing it and then feeling bad, doing it and rejoicing in it. Rejoicing in evil and then going on the crooked path. The path of the deviant, those who are deviant, devious in this, their ways. In other words, the Father is saying, wisdom will save you from this way. We are all familiar with the idea that we become like those we hang out with. And I would say in our media-saturated culture, we also become like the media that we consume. Um, I am... I am reminded of the truth that we become like those we hang out with and that they can influence us when I watch the very serious show, Say Yes to the Dress, which sometimes I do watch, I confess. 
And you always know in this show how it's going to go for the bride by the entourage that she brings with her. If her entourage includes her fiance's jealous ex-girlfriend, which yes, I have seen that before, or who, who, whose father really doesn't want to see his daughter getting married, or her sister who thinks her arms are fat, you know that this appointment is going to go badly. Because the people you hang out with, your friends, they influence you. And a wise person can discern bad friends and determine not to hang out with them. Because those folks can take you on the wrong path of life toward delighting in evil. It matters who you hang out with. When I was 16, some of you have heard this story before, my family moved from northwest Indiana, Highland, where you can buy all the fireworks, to rural North Dakota, where they grow wheat and sunflowers. I'd been kind of a theater kid in my old school, but when your class is like 28 people, there's usually not a theater, and there's really not that many cliques. I remember trying to figure out who to hang out with. Sometime early that fall, it would have been my junior year, I remember going home with, with two other students. And I was just there for a few minutes because I thought, I, I don't think this is a good place for me to be hanging out. And I left, and I walked home. And it was a small town, but it was like the other side of town. So I had to make a bold choice that day. And I'm not saying this because I've always made the best choices about friends. I haven't. But it is very important. Who your friends are matters. If your friends complain all the time, if they're angry, we can know, right? The Proverbs talk about this later on in the book, in a very famous proverb, iron sharpens iron, and one person sharpens the wits of another. This is the same warning, but from the inverse, right? Have good friends who make you into a better person, a more whole and holy person. And this, my friends, is part of the function of the church. Do not have friends who lead you on the wrong path. Have friends who sharpen you and hone you. Receive and seek wisdom, and you'll be saved from bad friends. So the second way wisdom saves is from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her smooth words, who forsakes the partner of her youth and forgets her sacred covenant, for her way leads down to death, and I would say this is both physical and spiritual death, and her paths to the departed spirits. Those who go to her never come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. In other words, the father is saying, son, if you go after this woman, you'll live like a ghost on a path straight to hell. Now, I want to say a few things. First of all, I think sometimes we think that people in the ancient world were sort of innocent about sex, like they were more morally upright than our culture, and that we, and I don't mean just the church, I mean culture at large, know more, and it's more bad now. That is completely not true. The ancient world was very well aware of all the sexual possibilities. This is not the father naively saying, be good, son, and patting him on the head. The father knows what's out there. And secondly, we know the context of this as a father speaking to a son. But just because one is a girl or a woman, that doesn't mean that we're exempt from this. We can all read this as wisdom and a sort of vignette for all of us, no matter how we are attracted. 
for application, I encourage you to change this adulterous person's gender in your mind if you need to, because men can be tempted and tempt, and women can be tempted and tempt. Don't write this off. This is for all of us. Today, as a, parable, as a parallel for this teaching, a good parent will teach their children about the proliferation and accessibility of pornography, among many other issues related to sexuality. But I'm going to address pornography right now. This is how I have spoken to my children for quite a few years now. You might be curious, and curiosity is normal. But if you see pictures like this accidentally, or someone else tries to show them to you, get away from those images. They will make your brain sick. This is true. This is science. Pornography rewires the brain and sets a person up for sexual struggle and struggle in real life relationships. It breaks the ability to bond. I say, you will never be able to get those images out of your mind. They will stick there and they can cause addiction. Good parents warn their children about sexual temptation because we want to save them from the emotional and physical effects of disordered sexual practice. And we also want to, and this is actually even more important, we want to together live lives in obedience to God, lives that honor each human being, whether we know them or not, as an image bearer of our God. So the father tells his son where the road of the adulterous woman will lead. For her way leads down to death, and I will say spiritual and physical death, and her paths to the departed spirits. Those who go to her never come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. This woman is a man-eater. Her path is the opposite of life. Partner with wisdom, and you will be saved from her. Now, some of you might not have children, or your children might be grown, you might have grandchildren, or you might not have anyone at all that this would be applicable to, that you'd be in that teaching situation. I want to encourage you, pray for us. Pray for us who are parents. I don't believe that our world is more sinful than it has been in the past, but pornography is way, way more accept accessible for children. Children are given phones, and they carry them around in their pockets. And when all the families do this, it creates a culture of ease and accessibility, and it is not good for our children physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And so parents, we need to be in conversation about this as how we as a church contextually address this issue to encourage each other as we take seriously our role in teaching our children. Because if our kids don't learn from us, they'll learn from other people. And they might not be people who love them. They won't be. Not like we do. If this is striking something in your heart, and you're like, I don't even know how to talk to my kids about this. First, I want to affirm you, that's a normal feeling. I just spoke with a parent recently who was feeling kind of disturbed about how she needed to talk to her kids. Talk to me or Pastor Lars or Pastor Simon. We're on the ground with you. We want to help you and equip you in this. This is part of the church's job. So partner with wisdom, and you will be saved from the adulterous woman and all that she represents. But the adulterous woman doesn't actually only represent sexual choices. 
There's a double meaning here. We can read her in two ways. She is demonstrative of sexual sin, but also, and I would say this is even more important, she is a metaphor for idolatry. Remember that marriage between a man and a woman throughout the Bible is a living metaphor for the relationship between God and God's people. In the Old Testament, when Israel worships other deities rather than God, rather than Yahweh, which is idolatry, it's described as adultery. Here's one example from Jeremiah. Instead, as a faithless wife leaves her husband, so you have been faithless to me, O house of Israel, says the Lord. And this is all, this kind of idea is all over the prophetic scriptures in the Bible. So to sum up the saving aspects of wisdom, wisdom will save you from bad friends and the evil path. It will save you from wrong sexual choices, and it will save you from the worship of false gods. So to summarize the text through now, cause and effect, if you accept my words and treasure my commands, if you cry out for wisdom and seek it like treasure, then you will be formed in your mind, relationship, and actions. Then you will be saved from bad friends, the evil path, and the adulterous woman or man. But there's one more thing. We're not yet done with this chapter. The last section of Proverbs chapter 2 reads, For the upright will abide in the land, and the innocent will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Now this effect doesn't have a then, it does have a for, but you can see I highlighted it. For you will abide in the land. The final effect of receiving and seeking wisdom is that you get to stay in the land. You see that? But maybe you're like, what does it mean to stay in the land? I mean, maybe it sounds like you you get to keep your house. (laughs) You've paid the mortgage faithfully and you get to stay. But to an ancient Israelite, staying in the land is much, much more than a geographical proposition. Ancient Israel was not simply blessed, blessed because they were in the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, which just really means it was agriculturally fertile. The promised land was blessed because that's where the presence of God dwelt. And this is key. Receiving and seeking wisdom leads to all these things, but mostly it leads to staying in the land, staying near to the presence of God, going back to that first time when humans walked with God in the garden. I mentioned this two weeks ago when we started this series. This intimacy and closeness with God. That's what it means to stay in the land. But maybe you know the biblical story. Maybe you know that several generations after this father instructed the son, the people were forced out of the land as a consequence for their idolatry, the very thing the father had been warning against. The people are forced far from the presence of God, and then... The presence of God leaves the land. Ezekiel writes about it. He sees the presence of God, which had come down into the temple in a cloud of flaming glory. He saw it depart and leave, and he wept. And even when God's people returned to the land and rebuilt the temple, the glory and presence of God never returned, never filled it again. 
But the presence of God did return. Once, a little over 2,000 years ago, this time it was a bit more hidden. It wasn't in a glory cloud. It was in a little hole in the wall, a little rock stable, a little manger, a little baby. The glory of God returned, but this time the glory of God was a person, Jesus. John writes, and the word Jesus became flesh and lived. That Greek word there means tabernacled, reminding us of the presence of God in the ancient tabernacle and temple. Tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the presence of God in person. Even though God's people did not follow these instructions, or many of the other ones in scripture, even though they metaphorically and literally, I think, went after the adulterous woman and worshipped other gods, God, by his great graciousness and mercy, came to them, wisdom incarnate, to show them the right path, the right path in Christ, who describes himself as the way. Friends, today we have gone through Proverbs 2 and learned a lot about wisdom, the cause and effect. This is a great advertisement for wisdom. And I don't know about you, but I do want to be filled with that kind of knowledge and understanding the Father speaks of. I do want to be saved from bad friends and evil ways and bad choices. But without Jesus, we will fail in our quest for wisdom because we can't be wise all alone. We certainly can't be transformed, and we do follow the wrong crowd and sometimes the wrong lady or man. We have been exiled, or worse, we've, we've walked away from the presence of God. But that presence of God through the Spirit is here, right here, at Hinsdale Covenant Church with us today. We don't have to have followed all this good advice to walk again with God. Because God's mercy is new every morning. We can receive God's wisdom and walk in a relationship with Jesus simply by receiving the gift, just like receiving wisdom, of his presence that forms us and saves us. This presence is no longer limited geographically. It's not limited by how old you are or how many times you've been or haven't been in church. This presence pursues us and is available now through the Spirit of God to sons and daughters and men and women throughout the world because true wisdom is a relationship with the one who is wisdom, the one who started this whole cosmos. Are you wise? Do you seek wisdom? I hope you do seek it. But the primary wisdom we seek is Christ, not just belief about Christ, but belief and identity in him. And this is a gift we first receive, and then we also pursue. The father says, the upright will abide in the land. And I say also, the upright will abide in Christ, because that is the presence of God, the presence of the truest wisdom. When you partner with wisdom, you will remain in the presence of God. I think I have an advertisement for this. My friends, let us seek Christ, the truest and only expression of true wisdom. I'd like you, I'd invite you to pray with me as a response.
Jesus, true wisdom. Would you bless this congregation with a renewed desire to know you, the truth, the life, the way, a way that's different than what we read about, the way that in, in this chapter of Proverbs, the way that is crooked and devious. And would you not just lead us alone individually, but would you lead us as a community, as your body, Jesus? Because you are our head. You are the head of the church. For my friends here who are seeking wisdom about particular choices, would you speak into their lives through your spirit, through other wise people? For those who actually aren't sure what to think about this, Maybe it sounds too certain. Maybe it sounds too specific. Would you demonstrate by your power that it's true? For those who long to have an experience of you, Jesus, to experience your glory in a way that is tangible and real, would you bless that? Would you give them that blessing? Would you pursue them as I trust you will? Jesus, we desire your presence, your glory, so that metaphorically we will remain in the land. We pray this in your name. Amen.